Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, August 29th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So I, you know, I guess we're finally, you can now say that the admission season for entering in the fall of 23 is now upon us, right? Do you want to walk us through what's, why I'm saying that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, this week are the first, um, the, the, this up, upcoming week is, is the first week for uh, explicit deadlines um, for um, round one um, for, for MBA um, admissions at top programs. It's actually not U.S. schools this week. Um, they begin next week um, with 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 a, a few early bird deadlines. But this this week, Oxford um, side is has its stage one deadline, as they call it, and um, ISB, India School of Business, which doesn't actually call its MBA program an MBA program. Um, it's a but, PGP. I yeah, think, yeah. It, it, its deadline is also actually. Um, it, Seems to be on Sunday um, of this upcoming week. So, um, so, so the you know we, we're definitely in into round one. We've also seen on Livewire activity regarding those folks applying Columbia Early Decision right. and Columbia J Term, which is their sort of um, condensed program that starts in January. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, um, things are things are building up. I want to put you on the spot and ask you a question about Columbia. So you know that the way that Columbia works is you apply, it's kind of rolling. They have this early decision, but it, even within the early decision, it's rolling. Um, same for J term, which is when you start their program in January. Uh, and I, I had a question, which is people apply and then they get invited to interview and then they interview with an alum. And then usually they hear pretty rapidly after that. But we saw, I saw some chatter on Livewire where someone was like, I haven't, you know, I, I had my interview. But I and I guess you can check online and see whether your interviewer has submitted their feedback, which is like the next step that has to happen before the admissions committee can make their normally rapid decision. And this can was like, I haven't seen my interviewer submit their thing. What do I do? And I don't know if you saw this on the site, but people were kind of chiming in with some advice about whether it makes sense to nudge <laughs> the interviewer, which is a kind of a tricky thing, right? Tricky thing. I think what one respondent basically suggested: make sure you've sent the interviewer a thank you note, because by the process of sending them that thank you note, it will nudge them to submit their report. So, 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 yeah, it is a little bit tricky. You don't want to overburden the in interviewer, right? Um, but certainly, make yeah. sure you've corresponded with them post-interview to thank them for the experience and so forth. Yeah. And I think that's, that's exactly right. You just send them a thank you. You don't need to, uh, you know, and if you've already sent them a thank you, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of, I mean, for me, it's up to the admissions committee to track down yeah. these reports, you know? And so I, I don't know that there's much you could do other than, I guess, I mean, I mean, if it really goes on and on, would you write to the admissions team and just say, Hey, really enjoyed my interview with, you know, so-and-so, uh, I see in the portal that it's been a couple of weeks and, you know, there doesn't seem to have been a report submitted. Is there anything that you need from me or yeah. something? But I, mean, I don't know. It's a little tricky. I, I, I think there's certainly a, a threshold point where it does make sense to contact the admissions committee directly. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, so we digress, but this is the kind of stuff that I think Livewire is so useful for people. You know, someone posted that question and a bunch of people chimed in with their own experiences and including a student who's there now said, here's what happened to me. So just useful stuff. Uh, over on the website, we've been continuing to publish admissions director Q and A's. Uh, over the past week, we ran uh, Q and A's on the Indian School of Business. So that's a good one if you're applying there, but make sure you read that before you submit <laughs> the application on that first deadline that's coming up. And then we also did one with UC Irvine's Mirage School of Business. Uh, so, so those are, I think those are kind of coming to an end. I think we've done run most of them. And now we're going to get into um, some fun, real humans uh, of current kind of current MBA students. So that's, that's forthcoming on the site. And the other thing we ran was we did a piece on, this is part of our real numbers series. We did a piece on percentage of US minorities at leading MBA programs. And you know, this is an interesting one because I was looking and, you know, a lot of the top schools, they're boasting, you know, almost like half minorities, um, keeping in mind that this is only a percent of the U.S. population that's in their programs. Um, but half seemed big to me. And then I looked into the finer print and they're actually counting, you know, kind of all minorities, right? So it's, you know, uh, African-American, Hispanic, Asian-American, um, people from a, a kind of Indian heritage as well. Um, Native American. So it's it's everything um, that's basically not white, I'm guessing, right? Is that how you see it? I, I mean, I, it's a little confusing to me how they do this sometimes. Yeah, I mean, the the, 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 the better number to, to, to focus on if it was revealed is underrepresented minorities, because that's what the yeah. outcome and, and the schools truly are going to care about. Mm -hmm. um, and this is kind of a similar issue with the international student component, because... Right. You know, schools will report, you know, 30% international, 35% or, or, or whatever. Um, but within that um, um, group of students, there will be underrepresented international students and overrepresented international students. And we talk about this a lot on this podcast. Um, but if you're from um, India, for example, you're going to fit into that overrepresented um, bucket. So not all international students are the same and not all minority students will be the same in, 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 in that sort of same, same effect. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's definitely, and I think some of the schools may publish this. I don't know. You have to dig into the class profiles and see, but it's, um, at minimum now they are all coordinated. There's kind of a federal reporting statistics that they have to use now, I think. So that's where these numbers are coming from, but it is, yeah, it is interesting to see. And, and you're right. I mean, it's a great analogy with international students because yeah, not all, yeah, not, not all, um, you know, kind of <laughs> international students are going to be equally represented in, in the population. Right. So, and we'll get into that in a moment because we've got some candidates this week that are, you know, kind of overrepresented and some that are under potentially. So, um, other than that, uh, the only thing I wanted to mention before we get into the wiretaps portion of the podcast is that we have three events coming up in September. These are our essay workshops where we sit down with admissions directors and talk about their essay questions and, and really grill them on like what they're looking for. You know, why do they have these questions, you know, in, in the case of specific schools and, and yeah, how they go about reading them, et cetera. So on September 14th, um, that's a Wednesday, it'll be at noon Eastern. We're sitting down with, um, admissions folks from Berkeley, Yale, Chicago, Wharton, and Cornell. 
And then literally the next two weeks after that, we have events as well. So on the 21st and the 28th, uh, and the other schools taking part are, again, it's a lot of great schools, Columbia, Dartmouth, INSEAD, LBS, Duke, um, Georgetown, Carnegie Mellon, Texas, UNC. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We've done these before. Many of you tuning in have probably already attended one in the past, but please come on out. Uh, really good if you're starting to work on applications, either that are due later in the cycle or even round two, right? So, um, and you can sign up by going to bit.ly forward slash clear admit fall. And that's all lowercase, all one word. Uh, so yeah, that's all I have, Alex, for this week. I guess we can get into the candidates. I mean, people can always email us if they have questions and want to chat um, by writing to info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. But did you have any other housekeeping or <laughs> interesting news items, Alex, that you wanted to talk about before we move on? No, I mean, yeah, and the other thing is the webinar we have tonight um, scheduled for, for, for Clear Admit Plus. Yes. Um, and, and, and stuff. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I am too. And yeah, Clear Admit Plus is, um, you know, a real, I think it's just such a great um, service that we're offering to people. And, you know, part of it is this monthly webinar. And we had a fun time last last time out with our inaugural, <laughs> inaugural group of, of candidates coming in. So this will be, I think, a slightly bigger group now. Um, but we'll see how it goes. It should be a lot of fun. Very good. All right. So let's move on. And uh, yeah, let's get into Wiretaps candidate number one. So this is an ApplyWire entry that we received. This candidate wants to start school in the fall of 23. Uh, they've been working in investment banking and private equity. Uh, they've got six schools on their target list, and those schools are Columbia, Dartmouth, Kellogg, Chicago, Wharton, and Yale. Uh, they would like to get into consulting after business school, so a bit of a pivot there. And they've got Bain, BCG, and McKinsey on their list. Their GPA is a 3.5. Uh, I believe they mentioned that that was earned at a um, at a decent uh, yeah, top five public undergrad institution. Uh, they have a GRE score of 312. They've been working for seven years, and they also mentioned they're kind of of Eastern European descent. Well, they they have they're dual citizen with the U.S. and with this Eastern European country, which they did not name. They actually went to high school in Eastern Europe, and they also talked about their goals. You know, they want to get into MBB to get some operational experience and then pivot back into finance in a private equity kind of operations type role. So I'm gonna leave it there, Alex. And I want I know we had some dialogue with this candidate or at least you and I weighed in a little bit on their candidacy on the site. I don't know if they responded yet, but um, what do you think of this candidacy? Yeah, just as you bring out that remark, Graham, they wanna get into consulting to do operational experience just seems a little bit of a, a, a stretch, right? Consultants advise on the folks that actually have to do the operational experience um, yeah. more so. But anyway, um, I, I do actually get what they're saying in terms of their career path mm -hmm. and, and, and their goals. Um, but this is a classic candidacy for a couple of different reasons. One is, um, yeah, this potentially is an underrepresented international student, right? They're from an Eastern European country. Um, and, and by that very nature, their sort of life experience and, and, and so forth before they came to the States, um, et cetera, um, is, is, is going to sort of set them apart a little bit and, and bring in some sort of, sort of different experiences from that regard. And that's why um, coming from an, an underrepresented country can be advantageous 
in the admissions process. It's about what does that mean to, to the candidate personally and how does that sort of impact their ability to contribute to the conversations in the classroom and so on and so forth. Um, so, so in that regard, very good. Um, I gotta say, they've sounds like in the brief bits of content that we see on ApplyWide that their work experience is very good. Um, their extracurriculars also look very good, um, and so on and so forth. Um, but they have this really relatively weak GRE score, right? Um, at 312. I mean, it is relatively off the radar. I mean, it's out of the range for, for most of the top programs. Yeah. So a common refrain you, well, I say a common refrain you sometimes hear, that's a bit of an oxymoron. Sometimes you hear from candidates that say, I'm hoping that the, the quality of my life and professional experiences is so strong that ADCOM will look past this one aspect of my candidacy. In this case, it's the lower GRE. Mm -hmm. um, and my response to that is, why risk it? You don't have to apply in round one because, again, you're, you're a little bit more underrepresented than certainly overrepresented. Therefore, if you're overrepresented, being in round one is going to be more critical. You have no, there's no admissions advantage for this candidate to be in round one. So try to fix this one massive outlier um, and don't run the risk that this one particular issue is going to bring down the, the, the overall candidacy where, where everything else in the profile looks really super interesting. So if you imagine, if this was someone with a 325 GRE instead of a 312, with everything else that they've got, you'd be like, yes, absolutely, M7 or bust, yeah. you know, as long as they put together a, a great application strategy and pick the right stories and so on and so forth. But this 312... It's a red flag. Absolutely, they need to, they've got to deal with it. Yeah, to me, it's it's a red flag, and I do worry that they are taking that approach that you talked about, yeah. which is, you know, oh, well, I have such an interesting background that that's going to... But the issue is that the components of MBA admissions are somewhat compartmentalized. It's sort of like right. you have to meet the threshold academically to sort of be considered, right? And so they, I'm worried that, you know, they're also a little bit out of school, you know, they're seven years out now. And so I, you know, sometimes you worry about, wow, how rusty are they if they're not performing well on the test? And the other thing I would say is if I'm an admissions reader and I see this 312, the first thing I'm going to look and see is, oh, maybe they took it like five times. They're a terrible standardized test taker and they just, you know, they gave it their effort and it hasn't worked out. Okay. You know, they can write an essay, an optional essay about that. But if this is the only time that they've taken the test, that would be a red flag as well. Because I'd say, well, don't they, they know that our average at, at all these schools they're applying to is, you know, 325 or, or 323 or whatever it is. And they're more than 10 points below that. Why haven't they taken this test again, at least to, you know, put in the effort? Uh, yeah. And so I'm, I'm worried and I absolutely agree with you. I would wait, apply in round two. Uh, I, I also, the one thing I would say is I'm not as convinced that their current outside activities are that stunning. I, it's hard to know. They didn't provide a lot of detail. Um, they did serve on the board of a, you know, big charity for a year. Um, but everything else seemed like it was maybe college years. So, you know, they've been out for seven years. I kind of wanted a little bit more information there. And the reason I mentioned that is just because it underlines even more 
the idea of like, okay, maybe the extracurriculars aren't stellar. Well, that would be okay if they had the 325 GMAT, 35 GPA, and great you know, all this great work experience and a unique life experience in Eastern Europe. But you know, it starts to all add up. You got the low GRE, maybe not so great current outside activities. Hard to know, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a fair point. The other thing that we don't know is if 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 let's say they did only take this um, GRE one time, what effort did they put into it? Um, if mm-hmm. it was a question of you know what everything else looks really good so they kind of winged it to get the GRE test done I mean that's just really going to come back and haunt them so um, at the end of the day make sure you know every element of your application is as strong as possible and you put the due effort into every element of the application now if it turns out that this 312 is the maximum score after a couple of attempts two or three attempts then so be it and yeah, they're probably going to have to dip into the next tier down, yes, um, the top 16 or whatever, to yeah. get a little bit more of a bite. But yep. um, don't let this test score eliminate you from, from the programs you should be at. Yeah. I guess that's the, the, over, the overarching sort of um, point here. And the last thing I'll add is, you know, well, none of these um, companies require it, and they actually always say, oh, no, it's not a big deal. The, the, sometimes the GRE or GMAT score can be a factor, I think, when you're applying yeah. for MBB jobs. So, like, for example, I was told at Wharton, um, I had a really high GMAT score. I was told, put that GMAT score on your CV because McKinsey's going to give you an interview since you have such a high. And it was true. I got an interview, you know, and, and I had no other qualification. I mean, you know, I had no background in consulting. And so I I think, you know, I would not want to go into the MBB recruitment process with a really low GRE. Again, not that they're going to require it, but it's like, if it's not on your resume, then they know, oh, it must be below some of these thresholds. So yeah. Anyway, I would get that taken care of if I were this candidate and applying round two. What what you don't know, Graham, is if you'd have got that interview without placing your GMAT on on the resume. No, so of course not. Correlation, yeah. causation. <laughs> we, that's something that we learn a lot about. But yeah, yes. absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I want to thank that person for submitting. Uh, hopefully they can you know take the steps that we're recommending and get, get an application in in the second round. Um, let's move on, though, and, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is a candidate uh, who they have, uh, I guess they're going to be applying this year. I I think you had some back and forth with them on this. It says 2024, so I'm I'm a little (laughs) confused by this one, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, For now, they've been working as an investment analyst with um, an SWF, which is a sovereign wealth fund. Uh, I looked that up. We can talk more (laughs) about that. Uh, They want to get into asset management, including hedge funds uh, after business school. And they currently have a 700 on the GMAT. They do intend to retake it with an aim of securing something closer to 750. Their GPA is a 3.1. It was earned at a top U.S. state school. uh, And they said there are no extenuating circumstances. They just have to own that 3.1. They didn't do as well as they could have. They've been working for five years, um, again, all on investment side at a very large uh, sovereign wealth fund. Uh, the last thing I should mention is that, um, where is it? Yeah, they mentioned that they are from the GCC, uh, which for those of you who are enjoying all these acronyms today, GCC stands for the Gulf Cooperation Council. So it's a, um, it's kind of an economic, a re- kind of a regional union that it comprises, uh, what is it, Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE. So that's where they're from. 
Um, and I, they didn't say, did they say where they are now, Alex? Because I don't, is that where they are now too? Yeah, I'm assuming that's that. where they are, yeah. 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 Okay. So what do you make of this? I mean, they have, you know, the 700-310 is a little bit ho-hum. And I actually forgot to mention the schools that they're looking at are Berkeley, Harvard, MIT, NYU, and Yale. So yeah. top 16 schools. What do you think of this candidacy? Yeah. I mean, again, this candidate needs to retake the GMAT. Even, a, I mean, a 700 is a, a decent score, but it, it's below the averages of the programs they're targeting. Mm -hmm. Their GPA is also below the averages of the schools they're targeting, more significantly below, actually. Um, so so they, they, they're going to have to do something about this combination of numbers um, to, to be more appealing from that portion of, 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 the, of their candidacy. They know that. They're planning to retake the GMAT, and they're going to you know, target sort of obviously as high as possible, but sort of hit around that 740, 750 range. And if they're able to do that, I do think that makes a material difference in this candidate's case, because again, that GPA um, is, 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 is going to make ADCOM a little bit uncomfortable. So if they can come back with a really strong um, GMAT, that certainly will help. Um, their professional experience, again, it looks really good. Um, working on the investment side at, at sovereign wealth funds and, and, and so on and so forth. So we've got to assume that their, their work experience looks um, really strong. Um, they're a board member and a volunteer at a local um, non-profit that helps children's education. Adcom loved that kind of stuff. Well, we all love that kind of stuff, right? So you, <laughs> right. they're giving back. They're doing yeah. the right sorts of things. Hopefully they're doing it for all the right reasons too, not simply to look good um, in front of Adcom. Um, so so that sort of genuine sort of personality, hopefully that comes through um, through 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 the application. So um, so so I think yeah, retaking the GMAT is 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 a, is an important move in, in this candidate's part. I'm a little bit um, you know hesitant in terms of you know they're from um, the GCC region as as you pointed out what that means. I mean I've heard the acronym before, but I have to admit I went to Google just to confirm which countries are involved, um, and um, so. <laughs> You know, is that overrepresented? Is it underrepresented? Um, yes, I would agree. It's probably a little bit underrepresented, um, depending on. I suppose the the overall heritage of, of the candidate might sort of come into play a little bit too, too there. Um, so so you know, we we seem to be on a bit of a, a theme this week. Um, we you know talk about overrepresented, underrepresented, whether it's minorities and whether it's international students, right, and so on and so forth. Um, so they might have a little bit of leeway going into the second round. Um, if they are able to retake the GMAT um, in, in time for a couple of these round one applications, like Sloan, which is notoriously at the end of the, 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 the month of, of, of September, I think, mm -hmm. um, then that might be worth sort of prioritizing Sloan into round one if they get their GMAT yeah. um, retaken in time. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, again, from, from a professional standpoint and extracurricular standpoint in this case, um, 
there looks to be a lot to like here. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think I was confusing them with another entry, but they, they seem, you know, they put 2024, so I think they legitimately are not going to be applying until maybe next season, right? So they, they only have five years of work experience. I mean, that's plenty, but it's not like it's too many, right? So they, they could, they right. could, so maybe they are on a kind of, you know, one-year plan here and, and they have time to get the GMAT score up. I do really find it interesting, like the work they're doing, um, you know, a, a sovereign wealth fund is, you know, it's not something you see every day. Um, you know, which is basically a state-owned investment fund. So, but it's just yeah. kind of interesting, and they're in an interesting part of the world. They, 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 they might have bought Newcastle United. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, and so yeah, so it's it's um, it's just like an interesting profile, and I agree. I, I wrote this to them on the site, but I, I was kind of thinking about how, gosh, when you have a low GPA, which a three one is, you know, I mean, gosh, yeah. it's still, it's a B, you know, it's not terrible or anything, but it's below the average by a chunk, as you said, at all these top schools. And so when you have that, the best way to sort of, you know, make that, that was then this is now argument is to come in with a really stellar test result. So hopefully they can boost that. I, yeah, I have a lot of confidence in their ability to get into some top programs if they can move the meter on the GMAT score so that it serves as a little bit of a counter to the GPA. Yeah, no, very good. So, Completely agree. Um, and if they are, if, if they are waiting till next season, then whether they're underrepresented or overrepresented, just, you know, line it up and get, get the, the applications in, in round one. Yeah. Totally. That makes sense. They have plenty of time there. So um, I want to thank yeah. them for submitting their post and for being a member of the community here. Um, always great to see these profiles come in. Let's um, move on and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So this is another ApplyWire entry, again, candidate targeting the fall of 23. So they're actually, you know, actively applying right now. And they have Harvard, INSEAD, LBS, MIT, Stanford, Chicago Booth and Wharton on their list. Uh, they've been working in consulting. They're actually with a um, big four management consulting firm and they're located in Dubai. So we've got that GCC theme that continues to <laughs> thread here in the century. Uh, they'd love to go back there after business school. The GMAT score is a 740 and the GPA is a 3.78. They've got four years of work experience. They're hoping to use the MBA to kind of continue to do consulting, but maybe with more of a focus on nonprofit and social impact type work. Um, they actually, in the long term, want to start their own impact consulting firm. So that's something they're thinking about. And they indicate that there's a strong demonstration of uh, an interest in that and maybe an aptitude for it based on all of their extracurriculars over the past four years. Uh, one other wrinkle as we talk about <laughs> ethnicity and international and, you know, underrepresented, all this stuff. This person says they are ethnically Indian, but they have worked for three years in Dubai. And again, they intend to return to the GCC region after business school. So, yeah, what, what do you make of this, uh, Alex? Yeah, I mean, this is an international candidate who's overrepresented coming from India. You would argue that because they've had some international experience that that sort of helps step up yeah. um, from that, sort of helps them stand out a little bit from a large group. I would continue to argue that regardless, target round one. Yes. So that, um, so, so that whether you are considered overrepresented or not, it matters less when you're in round one and you're being considered before that bucket or whatever gets filled. Um, so, so do that. Um, obviously, from a, a counting stats profile, as you like to call it, mm -hmm. 
excellent 740 GMAT, 378 GPA. Yeah. Um, so that 378, they've proven over four years, they're committed to, to their academics, love that. 740 GMAT proves that they're wicked smart, very good. Um, so, so, so that's good. You know, management consulting is reasonably standard, um, um, you know, pre-business school experience for top, you know, for top programs. So that's very good. Um, what I really do like, however, is it looks like they too have committed significantly to um, something that they're passionate about in their extracurriculars over the last several years. We don't know what that is. Um, but I really like that commitment. And what I really like about it is it has some relationship to do with what they plan to do in the long run. Yeah. Um, so that, to me, um, forms the ingredients of what could be a very powerful narrative um, that further helps them distinguish themselves and helps them stand out from, again, what will be a very strong pool of um, candidates, not only from that region, but from exactly where um, they're originally from and so forth. So a lot to like here, Graham. Target round one. <laughs> and yeah, I really do love the, the extracurriculars and how that's helping them sort of lead, lead them to their long term goal. Yeah. And I, they do mention in their comments that they are on track for round one at Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, Booth, Sloan, LBS, and INSEAD. I think that's all of their schools. So they're, um, and they actually, I should mention, they, they left a really nice comment after we had some back and forth on their candidacy on the website. They actually left a little note that just said, uh, thanks for a fantastic site. Clear Admit has, has helped a lot while putting together these applications. So that's always nice to hear. Um, I don't know if that's yeah, why you picked yeah. them. <laughs> um, but, but it, you know, it's an interesting candidacy, and I think you're right. Even though I would argue that an Indian working out of country, whether it's, you know, some Indians come to the U.S., do a grad, you know, a, a master's in engineering, and then work in the U.S., or in this case, this person studied in India probably and then went to Dubai and has been working in the big, you know, big four consulting there— I, I think it, it is an advantage, but you're, I still agree with you that applying in the first round is still going to be important because they're, you know, they're still kind of lumped in the bucket of, of Indian, which is overrepresented. So, um, yeah, but it's an interesting profile and I, I do agree. I mean, the numbers are stellar. And so I, I would be really shocked if they don't end up with at least, um, you know, a couple of acceptances on this list of, of schools, even though it is a really, it's an interesting list, by the way. I noted that it's kind of like an M7 list, but within, with, you know, INSEAD and, and London Business School. Um, so it's kind of the, you know, the international candidates uh, M7 type list, <laughs> if yeah. you will. This list, this list makes sense, assuming the candidate is going back to Dubai yeah. straight after their MBA. Right. Yeah. Or at least in the like their, their, their path of direction, their goal is to return to Dubai. Right. Um, so there's no geographic concentration in the choice of programs. Mm -hmm. um, you've got the top two programs out of Europe and you've got five of the top seven programs yeah. um, out of the United States. Now, Graham, one quick question. They have gone all in M7. Because, you yeah. know, again, London Business School, INSEAD would be sort of in that same bracket. Um, do they need to hedge at all and, and add one or two from the, the next tier? The only reason why I ask is, um, let's say they are considered overrepresented. 
and let's say for whatever reason they they struggle with 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 M7 in round one. If they come back in round two at top sixteen, um, it's gotten tougher to get in if they're considered overrepresented. So. I've seen this um, year on year, overrepresented candidates that only focus on the best programs in round one. They might get waitlisted. They might not quite get in. Mm. They readjust in round two. And again, they get waitlisted and don't get in because of this issue of um, things. So, so the rule becomes always have something a little bit softer in that first round um, group of schools just to make sure that you've got something in the bag. I, yeah, um, you know, I personally, I think they're going to, you know, if I were thinking about the difficulty level of the programs on their list, I, I think that given what we know about them, they're going to get some offers. I'm not saying that Harvard or Stanford or Wharton is going to be a slam dunk. Um, but I think, you know, they've got Booth on the list. They've got INSEAD and LBS, which, uh, you know, you look at the stats in terms of GPAs, GMATs and stuff, they they match up really well with those schools as being yeah. kind of above yeah. average. So I, I think they're going to be okay. I mean, the one school that does come to mind is um, NYU Stern only because they have a, um, a campus in, uh, now I'm going to get this wrong, I can't remember if it's in Abu Dhabi or it's it's in the GCC somewhere that they have a, a kind of campus. And, and, and you know... Now, you now, know. The, now that you know where GCC is, you I can, can just make say those connections. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing is that um, I think LBS uh, and INSEAD also have campuses and or yeah. programs in that region too. So I understand why those two are on the list for sure. Uh, but I, I, you know, if I'm this candidate, I roll the dice, go, go with the schools they have. I'm not worried about having like a safety. Like, I, I think they're going to be okay. I mean, yeah. obviously in a perfect world, I'll get to see their essays and understand like, have they pitched themselves in an appropriate way, but assuming that they do everything right, I don't think they need to add more or, or you know, but I, I, yeah, it's a lot of schools already. That's the other thing I kind of have in mind. They're already submitting seven in round one. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. No, very good. I just want to bring the point yeah, up it is just a good for point. others that... That, that you know, if, if you're, you're only targeting your best programs in round one with the thought going back round two with, with the next tier down, if you're overrepresented, that can actually backfire a little bit. Yeah, very good point. And I think you often see it with people who maybe don't have quite the stunning stats. You know, they're, yes. they're pretty good and they're yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, but then they end up with, yeah, as you say, with some wait lists and then nothing in the second round. So, um, yeah. all right, well, we've done it. Alex, this was cool because I think we, we got to talk about a lot of kind of international um, candidates and, you know, you know, the first guy's Eastern European coming, you know, goes to the U S and then you've got, you know, this last one we talk about where it's an Indian living in Dubai. And then the, the other one was already in the GCC and we got to learn some acronyms this week. So thanks for <laughs> picking these out, some nice connections and good, good advice as always. Um, and we'll do it again in one week's time, if you're willing. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Take care. Stay safe.